shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio's Star Wars Oxygen is brought to you by Little Debbie Snacks and their new Cosmic Cupcakes. Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Oxygen. The music of John Williams. Red 5, I'm going in. Like Star Wars itself, the music in the film defied conventional wisdom. At a time when disco was burning up the charts, having a traditional symphonic soundtrack was another huge risk on Lucas's part. He really understood the genre that I was talking about. It's a group of composers that weren't that well looked upon in the 70s. There was a different attitude toward the old-fashioned symphonic and the scores. And I had a lot of music in the movie. Hey, Star Wars fans, Jimmy Mack here with you, and welcome back once again to Star Wars Oxygen. Yes, you got it locked and loaded. This is our monthly look, and listen to the music of John Williams. John Williams, of course, the amazing maestro in all six films of the Star Wars saga. Joining us, as always, is musician and video game sound designer, formerly LucasArts, currently Sony, and let's not forget, he is host of the Star Wars Celebration Digital Stage. Yes, it's David Collins. Hey, Jimmy Mack and Star Wars music fans and aficionados. Welcome to Volume 10 of Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams. We have spent the last nine volumes talking about Episodes 4 and 5, A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, respectively. And now, Jimmy, here we are, finally, at the very first volume for Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. we got a lot of amazing music to cover um, over the next several episodes. And, you know, this is actually the biggest score of the uh, classic trilogy in terms of how long it is. There's so much material material to cover. Um, of course, we're very familiar with a lot of the, the greatest hits of Return of the Jedi, but there might be hopefully a few revelations that we'll be able to uncover as we go through some of these pieces and we take a deep dive into some of these themes, these new themes, a lot of older themes revisited. Uh, I just can't wait to get started. There's so much to talk about. Uh, Return of the Jedi, for me, um, was when I was finally old enough to really, really remember the impact of this movie coming out. I mean, this movie, to me, was a childhood favorite. I mean, Empire became a favorite as I was older, but when I was a kid, this is what I remember the most about Star Wars, was Return of the Jedi. You know, it's kind of funny to look back in time and take the appreciation for the films as they were before they became really bigger than life. You know, uh, Star Wars came out. It was a huge hit, giant success. Nobody could deny the impact it had on pop culture and society in general. Then you follow it up with Empire Strikes Back. And I got to tell you, David, that Empire at the time was, uh, yes, it was a hit. Was it as big a hit as the original Star Wars? No. I think uh, some people were a little turned off by its open-ended ending. I think people were a little turned off by its dark nature. It certainly has improved with age so much so where a majority of star wars fans say it's now their favorite but that really wasn't the case i'd say in the first 20 years of the existence of the film and then you get to return of the jedi which is 
a festive occasion. It's a happy ending. You get the reunion of all of your favorite Star Wars characters, along with the appropriate themes as composed by John Williams. You have the existing themes for Luke, Leia, Darth Vader, Han Solo, Yoda, um, even the the Empire and the Rebel Alliance as a whole. But That's then right. but then you you infuse it with themes for the newer characters. Um uh, characters like the Ewoks and the Emperor and Jabba the Hutt and you realize what a really rich and incredible soundtrack this is. It's kind of funny when I look back to the two trilogies that Lucasfilm was most well known for in the 70s and 80s are obviously the Star Wars trilogy and the Indiana Jones trilogy. And there's kind of a, a similarity in the two because both had very triumphant and exciting and swashbuckling opening opening episodes. But then the middle chapter was kind of dark and bleak. And then it returned with the third chapter, Return of the Jedi and uh, Lost Crusade, or Last Crusade. I always call that... <laughs> Lost Crusade. Lost Crusade. I, I wh- whatever. I, I, you know what? I always call it Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what they should have named the film. Let's face it. Well, let, I, let's talk about that film. I know this is a Star Wars Oxygen podcast, but I mean... Uh, the Last Crusade really is echoes of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and, and George Lucas has said as much. It was really the father-son nature of that picture that kind of made it stand out, you know, as, as something so new. But you're right, in terms of emotional tone, mm-hmm. there was the strong beginning, the very dark middle chapter, and then the glorious return to form. And that is exactly what we have with Return of the Jedi. I mean, on paper, you go, I know. Well, you know how we had that Death Star? Let's do that again, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. doesn't sound on paper that compelling, but what we were given, first of all, was excellent. It was, I mean, everything was blown out. It was so good. The visual effects, the story, the performances, the action, the sound, the music, everything was so good. Um, but after Empire, we just wanted it back so badly. And in a lot of ways, Return of the Jedi is is George's opportunity to go back and redo Star Wars now that he knew the universe a little bit better. And of course, I'm sure many listeners have seen from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga. And I'm sure you have too, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. So I actually have a clip of George talking about this very thing. And I think it's a great a great uh, um, reinforcement of what you just said. Here's George talking about revisiting ideas with Mark Hamill narrating a little bit. Jedi was more than a saga's climax. It offered George a chance few filmmakers get. The opportunity to improve on ideas, settings, and characters he had introduced in his earlier works. It took so much effort to get up to speed, which was essentially to make the first film. And I created this great world, but I didn't have the fun of being able to run around in it. Now that I knew the world and I could see it, and it was a real thing, it it brings up all kinds of ideas of things and funny moments and and adventures that you could have in that environment that you've created. Uh, and I never got to exploit that. And I always felt, in my first film, is that now if I went back and make another film in that environment using those characters, I could make a hell of a better movie. So there's George Lucas talking about uh, going back and doing Return of the Jedi, and it's exactly what you were saying there. Um, I could go back and do a hell of a better movie 
Um, and you see that in every aspect, right? You see a lot of revisiting of themes, but doing it bigger, doing it better, doing it better, right? Instead of the trench run, you've got the the amazing, amazing end battle over over the uh, the moon of Endor with the second Death Star, with just more ships on screen than you've ever seen. Instead of the uh, turret sequence, you've got the speeder bike sequence. Instead of you know the cantina, you've got Java's palace. I mean, and the music is the same way. I mean, everything's just blown out and taken to eleven, and it really is the return to form, Return of the Jedi, which I think is such a better title in this case than Revenge of the Jedi, because it really is a true return to form. I think it's interesting that you play this clip of George from a 1983 documentary where he's talking about how Return of the Jedi is going to improve his original vision for Star Wars. And that's just something George could never shake off. Yeah. He, after Jedi, you know, the next decade, then he's putting out the special editions and then the prequel films. And all of that is an attempt to write what he perceives are the wrongs in Star Wars A New Hope, which happens to be a treasure, a film classic. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's perfect. That's really well said. Yeah. But see, he never, ever, ever looked at it that way. For all the accolades, for all the money, for all the achievements that that film was able to, to collect it just seems like George always considers the original Star Wars to be a failure. He doesn't know what hit him. <laughs> George doesn't know what hit him. I know. He, do- he still doesn't understand how he got that winning lottery ticket. <laughs> he still doesn't understand how he opened up the right chocolate bar and got the golden ticket into the factory. <laughs> he, he, cannot fig- he can never wrap his head around it. And I, I think even now that he's out of it, it still frustrates him to this day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, Return of the Jedi um, just really, really kicks off in a strong way. It's it's interesting to to look at um, the soundtrack because to me there is a particular musical moment that to me just crystallizes um, everything that that we're talking about here. Um, if you look at Return of the Jedi, there's one moment in the film, which is probably my favorite musical moment uh, in the film. Although <laughs> every time I say that, I get myself in trouble because there's so many musical moments that I love. But um, I actually use this cue as my intro during Star Wars Celebration when I come out on stage and, and do all that kind of stuff because it's just such a rousing return to form. Um, and, I, and on the uh, original soundtrack, it was actually called The Return of the Jedi. Um, on side two of the original vinyl album. And uh, do you know what cue I'm talking about, Jimmy? Well, no, not off the top of my head. Um, it, it's it's one of your favorites. It's your intro music for when you come out on stage. Mm-hmm. It's and it's been of- cut into a lot of trailers. Um, I remember it was cut into one of the episode two trailers. I think the web trailer for episode two that was released in like fall of 01 or something like that. I remember we've cut it into a lot of different stuff. But basically, it's that moment when you're like, oh, my God, he's back and he's been in control this entire time. And that's that's when he's about to walk the plank. Right. And there are these moments. 
these bumps. They're designed to build tension, right, as you go from shot to shot. I mean, think about it. You've had Luke and Han and Chewie and the droids and Leia as a slave, and now they're all going to be executed. It's the worst that it's ever been after the Empire Strikes Back. We just want to see the return of the Jedi, and we find out right here that Luke has been in control the entire time. I mean, I just, I love that. I love that you get, you get basically the, the, you get Luke's main title right there, right? And then you suddenly get the rebel fanfare and then it kind of goes back into that sort of rolling thunder of, uh, of episode four. Um, I mean, they really give it to you there. And that's when you realize like after the entire Java sequence, it's like, well, Han is still there and Chewie got captured and Leia got captured and she's a slave and then Luke came and he got captured and now they're going to be executed. Nope, it was all part of the plan. Luke is truly a Jedi. It's the return of the Jedi in so many different ways and I feel like that moment to me crystallizes how that movie is supposed to feel for us. Mm-hmm. It's that that is the return of the Jedi and actually that's what John Williams named that cue in the original soundtrack album, Return of the Jedi, right? Um, so that's kind of my take on that. Um, that's fantastic. Hey, you know, um, when we were doing live shows from star Wars celebration five, Jason and I, we did a moment where people came up and did Q and a with us and we had no idea the questions they were going to ask. And they asked all kind of just, I mean, it could be about our show. It could be about star Wars. It could be about anything. And somebody asked, what is a music cue that might not necessarily be your favorite Star Wars music cue, but really jumps out at you? And I specifically mention, dun, dun. Yep, yep. When he's yep. walking out the, on the plank, and um, and it, it was it, primarily because it was the first thing that came to my mind. If anyone ever asked me what my favorite Star Wars musical cue is, I, I typically will say the binary sunset just because right. of what it represents, you know, and and how it capsulized the feel for that film about yearning for a, a greater existence, finding your purpose in the universe and, and living up to your potential. And the soundtrack crystallized that so well with Mark Hamill staring at the sunset because you felt his yearning for something greater. Now with Jedi, we're, we're looking at him as a fully fleshed, fleshed out Jedi. Well, almost, almost. He still has to, to face Vader, but he has, uh, he has walked the path of the Jedi and has been able to actually instill the methods of Jedi knighthood into his yes. lifestyle and, and everything he does. And with, with the tension that's being built up, not only because of the fact that our main protagonist is in danger of being assassinated, but also we realize he has something under his sleeve. Yeah. Will yeah. he be able to pull it off? And then boom, with the main, the main theme kicking in and, and you get that level of excitement. And also, um, David, you mentioned that you guys over at Lucasfilm had recycled that particular cue a lot of times over the years. And probably the most effective recycling of that cue that I can just think of off the top of my head was one of the early trailers for Episode 2 
opened with that yeah that's what i was saying that's what i was saying before that that the web version released in the fall of 2001 that was the one that they cut all those shots um together with that trailer yeah or or in that trailer they cut all the shots together with those bump bump yeah and um, it was really cool how it faded in from the black and faded out to the black you'd see the geonosian arena you would see a close-up of natalie portman looking worried Mm -hmm. and concerned as she often does throughout that film but it was just how it came in with the music yeah you're like wait that music i know that music is star wars yeah, but where is it? Oh, yes, when he was walking the plank. But here we're seeing it repurposed and in such an effective way. Yeah, let's think about it. I mean, if you saw Empire 1980 and you watched your heroes basically uh, really get stomped on, right? It really took a dark turn. Then you open in Jedi, and the whole movie opens with you know Vader and a second Death Star. I mean, things are just still bad, right? And then you go to Tatooine and Han's frozen in carbonite and then Leia tries to rescue him. Great. He's still alive. But now they're, you know, she's a slave and he's in prison. Chewie's now in prison. Luke's come in. It seemingly doesn't go to plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Everything has just been going wrong now for like, a, you know, a movie and a, and a and the quarter of this new movie. Right. Well, you get to this moment and you're just like, God, give us a break. Right. I mean, in terms of like, let us, let us cheer, let us feel good about things because we've had, we've been living with these characters going through such hardships at that moment. That's when you realize that no matter how many Gamorrean guards there are, no matter how many weak way skiff guards there are, no matter how many, you know, uh, people on, on, on that, uh, sail barge there are, or gunners or bounty hunters like Boba Fett or a or giant Sarlacc below the, the, the always treacherous and threatening Pote Snitkin. Which one is Potsnikin? I have to admit, I don't even know who that is. He's big and green. Oh, uh, one of those guys. Yeah. I'll send you a picture of Pote. Oh, please do. Yeah, you're going to have to put it on Facebook. Um, Yeah, no matter how many of those people are there, Luke is in control. He has been playing it all along. And it is a moment that is just designed to get you out of your seat and cheering in the theater. Like, and, then, and there's something about seeing that green lightsaber ignite for the first time over Ooh. that music and just, just, excuse my language, just kicking ass on that skiff. And just, I mean, just going for it. You know, he just goes for it. And, and, like, and every time in that queue that he does something cool when he jumps from one skiff to the next you hear da, 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 da. when he jumps onto the sail onto the sail barge and and the window opens and he throws a guy out the window you hear da, 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 da. you know and then again when he's like you know swinging down with leia on the rope you know you just hear it again and again between that and the rebel fanfare um john williams and george lucas they just they just uh they they really give you those those cues uh in in a full glorious return right this is a return to form, and that moment to me crystallizes the, the the tone of the film and what we're in for. Now, of course, it goes dark after that, and then starts to come back out of it into a, a victorious ending, of course. But you really get the sense that the stakes are higher, and Luke Skywalker is is really just a, a badass, and uh, and knew how to how to save everyone all along. It was all all of this was just a part of the plan. It was an it was an, an elaborate ruse, if you will. Um, and, uh, and it worked and I just love what John Williams did there. And I wanted to start that off and start off the conversation about the music in Jedi with that cue, because it really sets the tone for everything to come. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you, you described it to a T and, and it still is to this day, one of my very favorite 
Star Wars cues from the original trilogy, at least. You know, it's funny because I was thinking to myself, as I as I said to you, you know, we hear the recurrence of so many familiar themes. And this film on a whole, the entire production, just at times can feel like a victory lap. Yeah. But that's when you're 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 being short-sighted about it. Because I was listening to this this CD. I was listening to the um the uh, special edition release, the double disc release. And uh, I was listening to it earlier today and I realized to myself, oh no, this film is so much more than just a simple victory lap. This oh, We're not yeah. doing donuts at midfield. This is actually really a solid, such a solid chapter of the mythology that stands on its own. And the film score contains some tracks that I would have to consider my all-time favorite. Star Wars music. Oh, yeah. So even to this day, I think of Return of the Jedi often times in a, a, a way that it just kind of tied up the loose ends so nice and neatly and almost too perfectly. But there's an incredible amount of depth, right? So there's, depth. there's an inter- incredible amount of depth in Return of the Jedi um, in terms of the film score. Um, in fact, you know, there's a there's kind of a flip side to what I just played you, which is that there is another... Um, sort of uh, romantic theme. And when I say romantic, I refer to the style of music. You know, the romantic period in orchestral music is in the 19th century, and that's what classic Hollywood really looked to, you know, with Gold and Max Steiner and, you know, Casablanca and those kind of movies. And that's what John Williams emulating in Star Wars, right? This very sort of lush, uh, very super emotionally driven type of music. Um, each movie up to this point had had its theme, right? You had Leia's theme, you know. Right? And then you had, uh, with uh, the Han and Leia theme, those are both kind of built off of the same thing, right? Well, this time we have Luke and Leia's theme, right? You know, which is... Right? We have that uh, really sort of lush theme that that plays. Here, I've got a clip for you here. um, And I want to really dive deep into this because um, I think there are some things about this theme that are really going to surprise you. And I've been looking forward to talking about this theme for a long time. I think it's something that we we overlook, but you want to talk about depth in your main characters. Here is a little bit of uh, Luke and Leia. Now, this is from the concert version. And just in general about the score, you can always tell what John Williams thinks are kind of the big new themes in any score because he always creates a concert version of the score, right? Uh, Luke and Leia has a concert version, which is just meant to be played in concert, you know, with orchestra. Um, the same is true with um, the Parade of the Ewoks. The same is true with Java the Hutt's theme, right? Um, but when you listen to Luke and Leia, um, it's just got this very sort of emotional emotional vibe to it um but very filled with melancholy almost and the first time you hear this theme in the movie is when luke and Leia are speaking you know in the ewok village um uh about their parents and um you know he he basically says that uh you're my sister and that Darth Vader is my father and that we're all related and like this whole revelation the weight of that scene is really felt and carried by these two characters and finally after th- after two and a half movies shared by these characters you know so um 
Yeah, you know, I, a, I find it interesting. You say it's kind of a, it's it's sort of a forgotten theme from Return of the Jedi, and I think that's primarily because of its its placement at that moment in the saga. That conversation between Luke and Leia is one of the most important pieces of dialogue in the entire saga. It, it, you're hanging on their every word because the truth is finally being revealed. It's yeah. some of the truth you knew, some of the truth you really weren't too sure about. You read between the lines in that sequence. So the music might not be really memorable because you're hanging on every word that the characters are saying. The exposition is so poignant at that moment You because you're so invested into these characters after two and a half films you're ready for the last half of the, the final film of the trilogy, and this really gets everything on its way, this conversation. And that music, as you know, famous as it is, it's so easily overlooked because of its placement in the film. That conversation is ridiculously important. There's, there's two... So, here, let me just play a little bit of this, you know. I felt his presence. He knows that Vader's here, right? He's come for me. Um, so if we skip ahead a little bit, he's my father, right? He, he says he's uh, that Vader's his father, right? Your the theme father. hasn't even been introduced yet, right? It's There's still more. just underscore. It won't be easy for you to hear it, but you must. If I don't make it back, you're the only hope for the alliance. Luke, don't talk that way. You have you a power. Have a power. I, I, I don't understand. I could, I could never, never have. have. You're wrong. You're man. wrong. You have that power too. In time. You'll learn to use a design. So we still haven't heard it. Here's the Force theme, right? right? We still haven't heard Luke and Leia's theme. Force is strong in my family. My father has it. Still the Force theme. I have it. And my nephew has it. My sister has it. Oh, wait. Sister. Yeah. So here it comes. She just looks in wonder. Yes. There it is. It's you, and we finally get that theme that emerges. I know. Somehow. I've always known. So that was the first time in the movie that you hear it. And you don't hear it that often. In fact, really, probably the time that you hear it again the most, in the most pronounced way is after the second Death Star blows up. And you, um, you basically hear the news here. Uh, let me just play this. So um, this is when Leia breaks the news to Han Solo at the end that Leia is Luke's sister, right? That they're brother and sister. So Han Solo says, you know, I'm sure Luke wasn't on that thing when it blew. She goes, oh, no, he wasn't. I can feel it. You love him, don't you? Yes. Okay. Okay, I get it. Well, when you come back, I won't stand in the way. And she goes, no, 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 no. He's my brother. And then Han has that great look on his face of like, awesome, you know? And then uh, they kiss. And what's interesting is that this brother-sister theme then goes into the romantic love theme of Han and Leia right here. And they kiss, right? And of course, Han Solo is like, he's got that great look on his face. And then Wicked shows up, right? So it really is a compliment to those other two themes. This is the third big, lush musical 
forgive the phrase romantic theme, but that romantic style of music theme, it's a big um, sort of slow tempoed theme. And um, there is one in each of the movies of the classic trilogy. Um, Now, before I go any further, I just want to talk a little bit about um, this theme and, and, uh, and how it relates to the rest of the saga even more. So, you remember the uh, the main title, right? Um, of course, we remember the main title, right? I'll right? tell you what. After every celebration, that music is ringing in my head on the airplane ride back to Chicago. Right. Much like when you leave Las Vegas and you still are hearing all those slot machines in your head when you're yep. flying home. That's how it is with the Star Wars main yep. theme. So, yeah, so we hear that theme all the time. Well... Themes in general. So let me just go into sort of a bit of a music moment. And if you're not a music person, it's okay. I won't go too deep into this. But melodies are generally made up of notes, right? You know, all your different notes, right? But also rhythm. Right? That's that's how notes are kind of played over time. If you take the rhythm out of those eight notes and you just go... And you just play the first five notes of that theme, you get this. And then that's where he mined uh, and got. Luke and Leia's theme literally comes from Luke's theme, which is the main title theme of Star Wars. And this is to me what makes it such an important and overlooked theme. It is literally drawing from... It doesn't use the sort of like romantic love interval, right? Right? Instead, it it comes from the main theme. Right? Uh, You should play more. Can you play more of that? I can play a little bit more. And, and then he takes it and then he has it change keys a few times, right? So it's, then it's. Something like that. He just puts it all over into these different keys and just recycles and plays it and turns it around on its head. But the main body of the melody, right, this part right here, uh, let me go back to it here. Right. It kind of comes from the same from the same DNA. It's got the DNA of the main title. Um, And then, so here it is again, right? So the piano isn't quite tuned to this recording. Right? So that's kind of where it comes from. And when I made that discovery and kind of studying this and just looking at those four notes and then looking at the notes 
um, in the main title, and I just realized, oh my gosh, where does this theme come from? It comes from the main title. Um, and again, you know, John Williams, when he talks about um, the main title, it, it, he refers to it in the classic trilogy as Luke Skywalker's theme. This is in a this is before the prequels, right? Mm. This is when it was it was literally just. Um, it was just the uh, the the three movies that we know. So let me just uh, really quickly um, give you a quote here. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it. Really amazing that you made that discovery. So again, a forgotten cue from the Return of the Jedi soundtrack. As I was reviewing some of the music before we started tonight, I just did a little brief refresher, nothing major, but um, that music did sort of stand out to me as something that I thought we could really talk about. Little did I realize that you've done so much just analysis and research into that piece to connect it with the Star Wars main theme and the way you did. I'll never hear that piece again without... Number one, it just goes to show you that Williams really understood the significance of that moment between brother and sister as it's being revealed to Leia. Um, great. And some of Carrie Fisher's best acting in the entire film, as a matter of fact, in the entire original trilogy, happened at that moment because when Luke reveals to her that Vader is his father, she gives him this look of disgust. And then it sort of just melts away to... Um, a, a, a look of confusion into concern into what I perceive as a matter of acceptance for where she actually is in the universe, where you actually see Leia kind of understanding what her place is in the universe once and for all. We've always known her as a character that was on the run, but now finally she has legitimate roots And she understands that. So when Solo comes out, she doesn't whine and cry to him about what she just found out about her lineage. She just says simply, hold me. Just comfort me on a personal level because I'm working my way through this new information. I just learned about everything in my life being turned upside down. And the music underneath it has the same significant impact because it does have its and I love the way you put it. It has its DNA in the the main theme from Star Wars. So, and, and of course, the most important music in all of Star Wars is the main theme. And that really sets it apart from sort of the romantic love themes of of uh, Luke's theme and Han, or excuse me, Leia's theme and Han and Leia's theme. Yes. Luke and Leia's theme is rooted in the core of the story. They're basically saying. That the core of Star Wars is the, is the Luke and Leia story, and this is what was, was going on at that time. So I actually have, I found the quote here. Um, this is from the 1997 Star Wars A New Hope special edition soundtrack, the RCA release. And this is actually a quote from John Williams in the liner notes. The first melody in the Star Wars score is the theme associated with Luke Skywalker. When I thought of a theme for Luke and his adventures, William says, I composed a melody that reflected the brassy, bold, masculine, and noble qualities I saw in the character. When the theme is played softly, I tended towards a softer brass sound, but I used fanfarish horns for the more heraldic passages. This theme in particular brings out the full glow of the glorious brass section of the London Symphony Orchestra. So 
Here's what's interesting. This is what Michael Mattesino writes, and this is something that I that is going to relate to Luke and Leia's theme and to the main title. We're going to learn something very new about the main title right here, right now. You ready? I'm locked and loaded. Let's do this. The Star Wars theme perfectly conveys the heroism at the heart of the saga with the economy of its opening fifth. Um, mm. What they mean is that it's uh, reaching upward. That's the that's the opening fifth, right? Which he says is kind of reaching upward. The descending triplet, which is gathering strength for another try. Right? And the triumphant lift to an octave above the opening note. Attainment of the goal. You know, uh, and then it does it again. The note is savored and then the last four notes are repeated. Reassurance of the achievement. Then the phrase rounds out simply and effectively. The task completed. So he's actually saying... That the melody itself is the hero's journey. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. I actually, um, I worked on a, a, a video game called Journey, which was this really wonderful um, journey. It was like the hero's journey. It was a game, it was a PlayStation 3 game. Won a lot of awards. It was wonderful. And I was very lucky to just uh, be a part of it. But um, if you look at Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and the 12 stages of a hero's journey, sort of the ordinary world and the call to adventure, refusal of the call, then meeting the mentor, crossing the threshold, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, uh, then it goes to, you know, you go through a series of tests, you know, uh, approach into the inmost cave. You have this huge ordeal, this ro- reward, road back, all this kind of stuff, right? So it, it kind of creates, when you look at it on a graph, this sort of three-act mountain, if you looked at it on a graph of, of, of the highs and lows of the hero's journey, right? The first act kind of just looks like a, a bit of a, of, a, of a not so steep hill and then kind of falls down. And then it goes up a much, much bigger hill, like a super high steep hill after the fall down and then descends at the very end. Um, that's kind of like the arc of the hero's journey. And what's interesting about the game journey we did is that the, the geography of the mountain, you're literally climbing a mountain in this, in, in this game. They actually modeled the geometry of the game based off of the graph that Joseph Campbell lays out of the hero's journey. Well, I want to I want to put to you that the melody of Star Wars does the same thing, right? So it's the presentation, the first reach, and then you're gathering strength. The hero does it, right? And then reassurance, and then the denouement. The the melody itself contains the hero's journey, and what's really interesting about Luke and Leia's theme is they're stuck in the gathering strength portion, right? Right? They're stuck in this like, oh. And that's where, that's where John Williams keeps it. He keeps us locked in there and he keeps us locked in there for the entire theme. And we, and we revel in that, in that, uh, uh, and that part of the of the theme, we we sit there and stew in it as as we just don't know what's going to happen next, and and the emotions are riding high, and everything's at stake, and this it really has come down to this moment. After three movies, I have to go face my father, and if I don't make it out alive, you, Leia, are the only hope for the galaxy, not just the Rebel Alliance, but the the, the fate and freedom of the galaxy is all right. <laughs> Right there, right? And that's where it lives. And I I just wanted to put to all of you listening and to you, Jimmy Mack, that that is a very 
um, poignant moment musically for John Williams. And I think that that's why he includes it in the soundtrack as its own sort of orchestral piece. Even though we don't hear it in the movie a lot, it actually, I think, signifies something very symbolic in a musical sort of way. What do you think? David, this is an amazing, amazing revelation about the music of John Williams, the connection, the musical realization of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, and then the restructuring of the main Star Wars theme into the Luke and Leia brother and sister track. It's, uh, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm almost misty at this moment. I'm, I'm so proud to be on this side of the microphone talking to you about this right now. This is, uh, this is really a breakthrough. This is an absolute breakthrough that I think Star Wars fans are going to be eating up for a long time, and many are going to be talking about it after we release this podcast for months, if not years to come, because this connection that you've just made is is it's it's mind shattering because it comes at you from so many different directions. I'm especially impressed by the connection with the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. And this is something me and Paul Bateman will be discussing on an upcoming Star Wars influences show. A lot of people have been crying out for us to discuss Campbell and his effect on George Lucas's method of storytelling and the power of myth and the standards of uh, mythology that Campbell was able to break down during his incredible tenure as an educator, as a lecturer, and as an author. So this is something me and Paul will be talking about. And this is uh, something I want to hear Paul's actual uh, thoughts about this. So maybe I could get him to record something uh, for an upcoming Star Wars Influences or something maybe even for Oxygen next time. Because the way that you just broke that down was incredible. And and so there's um, we can look at Campbell's graph and notice the peaks and valleys and then listen along to this track and discover them along the way. Yeah, I mean to me I, to me I see kind of a fit and what really what really tipped it off for me for those of you that have the 1997 special edition soundtrack of Star Wars look at the liner notes where they go track by track and Michael Matasino first pointed this out and that's what caught my attention. From there um I looked at a game developer presentation um, that this uh, this guy Genova Chen, who um, you know did this game for that game company, gave about Joseph Campbell. You know, being familiar with Joseph Campbell because of Star Wars, obviously, I was very interested in that. Um, and then when I looked at it and I thought about Star Wars, I actually wrote out the melody of of Star Wars. Um, and this was after I kind of figured out the whole Luke and Leia theme. Um, and how it's related. And I thought, God, those graphs look very similar. And that's what Matt is talking about in the liner notes. And I think it works on us on a subconscious level. Um, I think that it's just, it's, it's, I mean, obviously if he wrote that in 97 about it, um, you know, there, musicologists talk about this kind of stuff, right? It works on you on a subconscious level. And then for, for Luke and Leia's theme to be, be kind of stuck in what he describes as the gathering strength portion of that theme, um, is I think even more poignant and that just kind of blew my mind. And, and I made this discovery actually while we were still recording and talking about star Wars. Um, and I've just been kind of sitting on it just going, I cannot wait to talk about this because I, I think it just kind of blew my mind and, and it ties back to the main theme in such a wonderful way and kind of gives us all, I think much needed context about 
this theme, which we just kind of skip past and we immediately think about, you know, some of the other more obvious themes that we'll talk about in future shows. Um, but uh, I, I'm glad that we gave it its its due diligence. And, you know, since um, since we still have a little bit of time, we've talked about our heroes. I thought it might be kind of fun to talk about some villains. Yeah. Hey, you know what? That's what this show is all about, because we're going to hear with uh, the, the big bad guy, the emperor. He has a very distinct theme and um, much like how Williams repurposed and sort of uh, borrowed the melodic quality of the main theme and then incorporated it into the Luke and Leia theme. Uh, you hear Williams do the same thing with the Emperor's theme. Oh, you're giving it away. <laughs> am I Am I jumping? I'm, oh, I, go I, for it. Go for it. I'm, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm jumping. You know, no, David. David, I talk enough on the Rebel Force Radio Network. I'm turning it over to you. Just, I'm happy to know that we're on the same page. Oh, That's- we absolutely are when it comes to the Emperor's theme. Yeah, the Emperor's theme will come up again and again and again in the prequel trilogy. Uh, and in a couple of spots in particular, I think that's what you're referring to. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, for those of you listening, uh, of course, many of you probably know what we're talking about, but we'll save that for episode one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we want to want to leave something uh, for that. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in that movie, too. But, I mean, yeah, the Emperor's theme first given to us, our first use of male choir, right? You want to take a listen here? Yes. Here we go. Here it comes. If I actually bring out my fader. Here we go. Creepy. Something very haunted mansion-esque about that track you can almost hear that playing as you walk into the stretching room there at the beginning of the haunted mansion yeah absolutely i think it's well i think it's the men's choir you know that sort of low male voice but then also the let's see uh yeah it's in here g minor so this that part right there you know that um this uh interval um, you guys might, I don't go into much into music history or musicology too much in this show, but this interval, that's, uh, what, um, was known, um, hundreds of years ago, uh, as the devil's tone. It's called a tritone, um, and was actually forbidden in old, uh, choral music and sacred music in, uh, when composers were writing for churches, right? Um, that, that interval, was considered to bring, a, bring bring out dark thoughts and be very sort of satanic, and so you couldn't use it. So, of course, what does Black Sabbath do? They wrote a, write a whole song about it, right? <laughs> right. So um, that 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 uh, that scale is also kind of a blues scale, right? Um, right. Again, the music of the devil. Yep. The Again, blues. the blues. Yeah, exactly. Went down to the crossroads. Yep. That's a blues scale, right? And that's basically what it is. It's it's using that, but it's of course it's all about how you orchestrate it, right? It's the it's the you know, and those dark minor intervals and and the slow, creepy, glistening strings and 
and uh, you know the the men's choir and, and you know the evil just dripping evil satanic yeah hey, play that interval one more time I want to see if I get dark thoughts oh definitely definitely <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a butcher knife to a teddy bear right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's right. Well, yeah, guitar Black Sabbath guitarist Tony Iommi heard that story and he literally wrote a whole song around that interval when he heard that um, that song Black Sabbath. Yeah, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely uses that. And you know, the first interval it uses is the um, which is a minor third. That's what actually defines a minor chord, right? Versus major right we talked about how minor is a darker sound well let me what have i told you that um job of the hut's theme is kind of similar well Would you, you believe know me? he's uh he's a bad guy he's he's not a good guy at all he, he does bad things to uh people and he should have a sinister sounding theme to introduce such treachery i love the Jabba's theme um it's something that a lot of people talk about um, before I play a little bit of it, let's, you know, if you take this, right, and you take this note and you just move it up an octave higher, an octave, octave means it's the same note, but you're just kind of doubling the frequency up here, right? And so instead of going, um, you're going, but you rip up to it. And so on and so forth. You get Jabba the Hutt's theme, which is kind of more of a bumbling evil, a not, an, un, an ultimately unsuccessful, fat, slovenly evil, um, to the point where John Williams uses a tuba. Of course he does. Yeah, I, which is I, maybe <laughs> even tuba. politically incorrect, you know, but at the time, it was just like, oh, yeah, let's go for it. He's big, fat, slogan. Here's a tuba. Hey, listen, think about it this way. The tuba is the hut of brass. <laughs> it really is. Tuba the hut. Tuba the hut. <laughs> and so the guy walks in, you know, he's like, the tuba player's like, finally, my day to shine. Jabba's theme. <laughs> totally. Here finally. it is. Let's check it out. Here it is. Uh, if I can actually get to it here. Nah, I don't want to play that one. I don't want to play this one. Here we go. No. I what do I want to play? Where is this thing, Jimmy? Here it is. Here we go. That tuba player is stoked. Oh, it's his big day. 25 years of playing this thing, and now I finally get my moment in the sun. Finally. Turn the spotlight on the tuba guy. That's right. That's right. So Job of the Hutt's theme. Um, it's not very often you get like a, uh, a piece completely written around a tuba. But there's something I wanted to, to tell you, which is um, I've started my spreadsheet again, my little music tracker that I have. Yes. <laughs> and I tracked all of the moments of uh, Jabba's theme and where, where they exist in the soundtrack. I counted roughly, well, eight. Eight times. Eight times. Now, do they ever play Jabba's theme when Jabba is actually not on screen? 
They don't. And in fact, they barely play it when Jabba is on screen. And that's what I was going to tell you. Of the eight times that you hear it on the soundtrack, it is only audible twice in the movie and barely audible at that. Mm. For whatever reason, and this is just really interesting. I don't know why this is. But for whatever reason, every time they, they you know, they they um, uh, they had Jabba the Hutt scored with that piece, um, they removed it. Um, and I have some some evidence to that. So when Han Solo returns, right? Um, he uh, uh, he. Let's see, where is it? The film clip here of Han and Jabba. So when he returns, um. You get this wonderful moment of someone who loves you, right? And you get... Leia, right? So Leia's back on the scene. Okay? And uh, and they kiss, and it's like, come on, we gotta get you out of here, right? And then you hear this kind of like... Oh, 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 oh. Right? Well, I on know, the soundtrack... Yeah, I know that laugh. On the soundtrack, this happens. Right, and so on and so forth. Let me just play you um, what it's like in the film. Here we go. Skipping forward. Who are you? Someone who loves you. By the way, that's a different version than on what's on the soundtrack of the love theme. I gotta get you out of here. It's less string heavy and more woodwind heavy. There's a lot of this stuff. What's that? I know that laugh. Hey, Jabba. Look, Very Jabba. menacing, low-end music. Pay you back, and I got a little sidetrack. Some it's synthesizer in there. Then you heard it once right there. And you hear that in the background, the dog. That version is not on the soundtrack. So what I was going to tell you with Jabba's theme is that through listening and studying Jabba's theme, I started to find a very common thing about Return of the Jedi, which is that it is a very heavily edited movie compared to what John Williams wrote and recorded. And um, there is a lot of music that's in the film that is not how it appears on the soundtrack. Um, and some of these pieces, when I try and go back and piece together what they did, I can't find them. And that's one of them where I just go, ah, that's not really there. So a challenge to listeners, if you go back and listen to that scene, compare it to the cue in the soundtrack, which, um, I believe is called Han Solo Returns. Yep. Um, you know, go back and forth, make a comparison with the movie audio. It's, it's different. And, um, you'll find that all over the place. And in fact, um, in studying the score, I found um, this article. Uh, this guy named Chris Malone did a complete, a complete white paper. It's like 51 pages long, all about the recording of the Star Wars saga. And uh, talks about um, the score. Which, by the way, Jimmy, we haven't even given the factoids about the score yet, have we? <laughs> we haven't done the back of the baseball card We yet. haven't done the back of the baseball card. So here, here it is, right? Okay, just really quickly. Return of the Jedi was recorded at Abbey Road Studios, which is a departure 
from uh, the first two, which were recorded at Anvil Recording Studios in London, in, in, or not in London, actually, in Denham, England. Well, it was, it was gone by that point. And so they switched to Abbey Road. It was recorded in January and February 1983, again featuring the London Symphony Orchestra, who John Williams was now using all the time. All the time he was, he was conducting, he wrote it, he produced it. Uh, Herb Spencer came back as the engineer, or excuse me, as the orchestrator. Eric Tomlinson as the engineer. Ken Wanberg as the editor. Lionel Newman again. Uh, it was nominated for another Academy Award. Um, it was the longest score. Um, but it was only released on a single LP instead of a double like Star Wars and Empire. And, and we'll talk about soundtracks much later on. But um, one of the things that this, uh, that this article pointed out is that um, Williams also enlisted assistance from others to help by adjusting timings of cues to suit new edits as his schedule increasingly dwindled, mm. um, which, uh, uh, which is really interesting. So, there were a lot of music editors on the project because John Williams' time was becoming more and more precious, and um, you can oh, really it was hear pulling them. him away from from Return of the Jedi. This is uh, post Raiders, post ET. Oh yes, what was on the horizon for him at that time? You know, I don't know. Maybe the eighty four Olympics, uh, Temple of Doom. I, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I do know that that um, the film. If you read Jonathan Rensler's book, Making a Return of the, Je- Return of the Jedi, it was going through major um, post-production woes in terms of how big it was. You know, they barely made this thing, uh, and it was going through picture change after picture change um, all the way up until the very end. And those sequences changed a lot, you know. Um, I'll, we'll walk through in future shows, we'll walk through, say, the Sail Barge Assault and some of those other pieces where you can really hear the music edits. Uh, many of you might have tried to play the Sail Barge Assault off the soundtrack and sync it up with the movie. It doesn't work. Um, there's been, you know, there's all kinds of music edits going on in there. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, Jabba the Hutt's theme exists more in our mind than it does in the movie. Uh, you can hear it a little bit in the background as well when uh, Bausch is with Chewbacca and they're negotiating for the bounty on the Wookiee, but you hear it very subtly. You hear a big tuba note when uh, Bib Fortuna wakes up Jabba, you know, and he goes, Master, oh! You know, you hear it, You hear just one, you know, tuba note which suggests the theme but doesn't ever play it. And other than that, you don't hear it. You don't hear it when Lang- Leia chokes Jabba. You don't hear it when Han, you know, is unfrozen. They kept editing around it. I don't know why, but it, and even the Jabba's uh, theme doesn't exist on the soundtrack. You have to go and get one of the other compilations or soundtracks in order to hear the concert version of it. Um, But uh, I thought that was really interesting. Because it seems so prevalent. It it seems like it's in every sequence with Jabba, that, that lumbering tuba sound now maybe we're just kind of filling in the blanks because Jabba himself is a lumbering kind of thing lumbering kind of slug and and the tuba like I said the tuba is the the hut of of the brass section and um it, it could it be maybe in prior releases of the film it was featured maybe a little bit more. You know, well, maybe are we just looking at the special edition? Should we go back no, and I, look I, at laser discs or I, I'm VHS looking at, tapes? Yeah, I'm looking at the laser disc. Um, and I and I went and I looked at the laser disc, and then I because you know I have the laser disc and I've got the the special edition. I look at them both, and 
the music edits are the same in both in these sections. Obviously, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the special edition of Return of the Jedi because we have to, especially with Jedi because of the music. But in this particular case, it's the same. Um, you know, they didn't change that stuff. They didn't change a lot of music unless George really wanted to change a whole sequence or something like he did in, in Jedi um, in Jabba's Palace. But no, all of this is the same in the special edition as well as the Laserdisc. Um, maybe it's possible that it's different in, in previous versions, um, but I don't, I don't have those. But I can, I can definitively say that from the Laserdisc to the special edition, um, it's been omitted. But it's such a memorable moment in the soundtrack. And if you're sitting around listening yeah. to the soundtrack, you know, you can sit there and think to yourself, oh, this is when Jabba gets strangled and you hear it, you know, cut into the action. Well... It's not in the movie, for example. Um, yeah, you know, I, I all of a sudden I just I like feel terrible for Tuba the Hut. Yeah, well, here I, I might as well play that, that for you, right? So if I if I play the sail barge assault, let me see here. This is so. Here is when we cut back to Jabba on the soundtrack. Right. Let me play for you what they do in the movie. Right, so in the movie, it's uh, it's very different, um, and you can actually hear the music edits. And in fact, remember that cue, bum, bum. You know the Return of the Jedi, Selbar Salt. When Jabba lets out his dying breath and his tongue sticks out, they actually cut one of those in there, and then they just let the strings go, and then they fade up a different music, uh, a different piece of music. Check this out. So um, here we go. So here he is being strangled, right? How you like them apples? Oh, so cool. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so I mean, everything in this show has come full circle, essentially. What's that? Oh, you mean in terms of editing that cue back into into the into repurposing that cue? Exactly, because that's how we started tonight. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, they repurposed that cue, and uh, with that, I think we've covered uh, quite a bit in this episode. But um, yeah, heroes and villains—that's what I wanted to start with. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot more that we could talk about in terms of music edits. You're going to hear them all over the place as they were snipping frames here and there, cutting bars out, stretching other things, replacing things. Even the sail barge cue was re was rewritten in the same way that uh, the uh, sail barge was, or excuse me, the binary sunset was rewritten for, for a new hope. The sail barge features an alternate on the soundtrack. Uh-huh. Here we go, alternate tracks. Alternate That's tracks. We have a lot of fun. So, I mean, what what a great way to kick off Return Return of the Jedi. I mean, an education, well, a re-education, but man, a revelation, incredible revelations about Luke and Leia's theme and its connections to the main Star Wars theme and Joseph Campbell in the hero's journey as represented musically within the Star Wars soundtrack just takes everything to a whole nother level. And uh, boy, oh boy, that's just really incredible. So, and yes, of course, ladies and gentlemen, I did make a Pote Snicken reference in this show. Long <laughs> overdue, I, I think. Yeah, David, I, I sent. Oh, I, I saw it. A, a I saw it. Yeah, you see Pote Snicken there? He's, he's the guy with the uh, six nostrils. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, 
Do you remember him? <laughs> yeah, I remember him as a sort of a background character, a sensitive sniffer on that guy, huh? He'd sniff out uh, uh, the Fritos that, that fell behind the couch back in uh, 1996. That's right. That's so right. So Poach Snicken uh, making an appearance on this show. Um, and also another long overdue Tony Iommi reference. Oh, yes. I, I, you know, I've been podcasting for years about Star Wars. I don't think we've ever even talked about Black Sabbath or Tony Iommi, but that was... Uh, that was something that uh, I'm very happy about. And, of course, this show is dedicated to the memory of Tuba the Hutt. Tuba! We thought we, 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 thought we knew Tuba so well, but yet uh, we barely knew him at all. And uh, <laughs> Tuba the Hutt, uh, not as prevalent in the... Uh, in the and, and I, David, I like how you just assume that I think that theme is in the film a lot more than it is. It, it's just like a common standard reaction to that music yeah. but when you break it all down it's really barely in the film at all that was my assumption too until i really went in and i you know when i go through these movies i i play each cue on the soundtrack with um a quick time of the movie along with it right and so i'm just kind of going back and forth and back and forth and when i find these discrepancies i mark it down because i have this you know spreadsheet that i keep of all this stuff so that i can kind of just keep my thoughts together when we're talking and just have a point of reference you know um and when i saw those things i was like wow um my memory of that is definitely skewed um and i think that's true for all of us because it's such a memorable theme um and again john williams you can always tell what his big themes are by what what he always just creates a concert version of you know on every soundtrack he's got a a concert non-film version of certain cues and in jedi it's the parade of the ewoks um, of course, he wrote one for Jabba the Hutt, but it's not on there, but it's on other recordings. And certainly he played it with the Boston Pops again and again and again. Um, and Luke and Leia, right? Those are big ones, big ones, just like Yoda's theme was and the Imperial March was in Empire. And Leia's theme was um, in uh, A New Hope, right? Um, there were concert versions. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot more music to talk about in future episodes. It's such a rich soundtrack. Um, of course, next month, Jimmy, is October. It's Halloween month. And uh, so next month, I thought we'd do a little listener feedback and uh, talk about all the source music, which is a whole other side to Return of the Jedi. Source music being music that exists in the world that the characters can hear as well as the audience, right? That's Lapti Neck and Jabba's Baroque Recital and the Victory Celebration and Yub Nub and, uh, and uh, um, you know, all the Ewok tribal music and, and uh, you know, Jedi Rocks, all that kind of stuff. We'll talk about all that stuff and more. Um, haven't even touched the Ewoks. Haven't even touched uh, Vader. Um, all the action cues. There's just, I mean, this score is, as I said at the top of the episode, the largest and longest of all three films in the classic trilogy. And I can't wait for more. <laughs> really? We're off to a great start here with star Wars episode six, return of the Jedi and the great music that populates that classic film. So, you know, tube of the hut, he walks in there and he says, today's my day. This is the day I'm going to, I'm taking the lead on this whole thing. Finally, finally. And then they inform him that they're barely using his music at all in the film. He's like, well, wouldn't you know it? What the? Why did I pick a tuba? Uh, let's uh, so, have a little bit less tuba in that uh, that whole scene, or whatever that tuba is. After years of marching with the thing, it's finally his chance. Oh, well. 
a little less tuba, a little more cowbell. That's right. <laughs> I need more tuba. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks a lot for hanging out with us this month on Star Wars Oxygen. We're just barely scratching the surface of Return of the Jedi. Wait till we really dig into it. Again, David, uh, your preparation, your research, your devotion, your motivation always astounds me each and every month. You really bring your A-game to the table all the time. And I am, again, left blown away by the revelations of this music that... After each and every show, I feel like I've taken that music for granted all this time. I had no idea. So thank you so much for doing all you do to educate us, remind us, refresh us, or just introduce us into the great music of John Williams. Well, thanks a lot, Jimmy. That means a lot. And and, uh, thanks to all the listeners. Um, You know, this show really is about appreciating um, and rediscovering this music that we know and love and hopefully bringing a whole extra or maybe new element to your 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 experience when you watch these films so that when you watch them again you watch them with new eyes and ears and um, um, I really appreciate all the user feedback be sure if you if you want to reach out to us you can do it do so at show at rebelforceradio.com I'm at David W. Collins on Twitter um, please send us your feedback any questions thoughts we're going to do a round of listener feedback in the next show and um, I want to thank you all for listening and tuning in. We are uh, we are growing, Jimmy. We're growing. Uh, the word is getting out there. So thank you very much for telling your friends and uh, and uh, neighbors about this show. Um, please continue to do so. Um, more and more people are tuning in, and uh, it's it's a really really exciting time as we're going through Return of the Jedi. And of course, if you, if this is your first time listening to Star Wars Oxygen, please. Um, we'd love to have you go back and check out the uh, previous volumes where we cover A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. And until, uh, until October, Halloween season, um, I'll just be listening away, and I hope uh, you all are too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for spreading the word about Star Wars Oxygen. As David said, it is growing, it's getting bigger, and we need your help. We need you to spread the word. Tweet away! And uh, also give us your feedback. Show at rebelforceradio.com or uh, light up the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. We're looking at everything you guys have to say about the great music of John Williams. Hey, do you think you can possibly take us out on a little Black Sabbath on the keyboard? Oh, yeah. It's not quite the same on a piano. You need to have a, uh, a Gibson, uh, what is it? It's not an Explorer. What did he play? I think he played um, the uh, SG. He played a Gibson yeah. SG. That's what it was, an SG. Not a Les Paul, but an SG. Beautiful. Next time I'll plug into my guitar and we'll, 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 we'll do a proper outro that way. <laughs> hey, it's going to be Halloween. So. I've warned you, so yeah. The timing is good. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in to Star Wars Oxygen. For David Collins, I'm Jimmy Mack, and remember... The Force will be with you, always. Always.